know, when it comes to Christmas time, it often at church we'll, we'll read the Christmas story, and, and I think it's good to do it. But if you think about it, we'll typically read from a place like Matthew where it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, uh, was minded to put her away secretly. But while they thought about the, he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take uh, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And so that's where we think you're telling the Christmas story starting right about here. But really, if you start here with the Christmas story, it's kind of like uh, starting a movie from the middle, if I invited you all over and said, let's watch, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite Christmas movies, and we started off in the middle, you'd think, well, why is it, like, why is this happening? What's the big deal about this? You know, we're right about to the, to the whole climax of the movie here, but I don't know the backstory. So why is all this happening, and why is that a big deal? How many of you guys like Christmas movies? You like them? I, I was raised watching, you know, some Christmas movies, but I didn't grow up Christian. So my choice of Christmas movies were like Gremlins, right? Or um, you guys see Gremlins? Don't worry about it if you didn't. That's a Christmas movie, though, believe it or not. Uh, what about the ones like Home Alone? There's kind of a Christmas movie there. Or uh, Die Hard was another Christmas one. There was a Batman Christmas uh, one around Christmas time, right? What about uh, a Christmas a Christmas story, you know, Ralphie will shoot your eye out. How many of you guys have seen that? Is there anyone who's not seen that other than my wife? Okay, a couple of you here. That's it. Uh, what, about, what about this one? This is a favorite that we watch now, Elf. Anybody like to watch Elf, right? That's always a good one. We watch that every year. If you start any of those in the middle, though, you're going to have a lot of unanswered questions. And that's what happens when we turn Christmas into a traditional storytelling time to where we just tell it from this point. And we miss out on so much of the story. You know, you start talking about there's this, these angels that appear to this almost married but not totally married couple, and she's a virgin, and all of a sudden, like this, this virgin is, is pregnant, and she's having the child of God, and angels show up, and they're singing, and, and shepherds, and wise men, and, you know, cue the star, and it comes in, and all of this, and you think, wow, that's really amazing, but if you were totally unfamiliar with the story, you might want to ask the question, why? Why is all that important, and why, why start there? And I'd ask the same question, that like you're going to miss so much if you just start at that point. You see, Christmas wasn't about 
God saying, you know, we need a good, solid holiday in the middle of the year to celebrate, you know, in the middle of winter for these people. So this would be great for them all to come together and, and, you know, sing and warm up and stay cozy. But Christmas is the fulfillment of a promise from God. And it's even mentioned right here. But if I was to start the Christmas story with you, I'm going to have to back up a little bit. In fact, I'm going to have to back up quite a bit. In fact, we have to back up all the way because the Christmas story really begins in the book of Genesis when God created everything and he did it with, with intentionality, with detail. It was specific. It didn't happen over millions or billions of years. It happened over a very short you know, few-day period where God spoke everything into, an ex- into existence exactly the way it was, perfect for its intended recipient. You see, God created the heavens and the earth as a special place for some special people that he would have a special relationship with. The very first gift that God gave to man was creation. He said, all of this is for you. Adam, Eve, this all belongs to you. You can have it all. You have authority over all of it. This is my gift to you. And and the best part is that I'm going to be there right by your side. And so the Bible would give this picture that, that God would meet with Adam and Eve in, in, in the cool of the garden. And, and later on in Proverbs, the Bible says that, that, that man was his daily delight. And we really see that was, that was Jesus. Jesus delighted, the pre-incarnate God, the Son, delighted to spend time with, with man. He said, you can have it all except for this one tree, Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree was separate to the Lord. It was holy to the Lord. It belonged to him, not to man. It's sort of like the tithe. It it, it was, you can have everything else, but don't eat from this. Because God said, in the day that you do, you'll surely die. And so, you know, think about it. I mean, these guys could do anything they wanted, anything they wanted. There's nothing off limits. Of course, they were pure in their hearts and minds, so don't get crazy, right? But you think about it like, like they could do anything. It's just one thing. But how many of you know that if you were there in their shoes, you do that one thing too, right? And sure enough, Genesis 3 rolls around, the serpent comes along, and he's more cunning than all the beasts of the field. And he says to Eve, he says, has God surely said that you can't eat from this tree? And she said, oh, oh, well, well, we can eat from any tree in the garden, but we can't eat that one. We can't even touch it or else we'll die. And then Satan goes, he says, wait a minute. Here, let me explain how it really works to you. You're not going to die when you eat this. But you're going to actually have your eyes opened, and you'll see the truth, and you're going to be like God. You see, Satan's plan is always to get us to not believe God's word. Even though God may have said it, he didn't really mean it. And that's always a trick of the devil in our lives, to try to get us to not believe what God says, and to see it our own way or to see it some other way, but not really how God sees it. And so he's, he's messing around. He's trying to pull a fast one on Eve because he said, the day that you eat it, you're going to be like God. The problem was she was already like God. Adam and Eve were already like God. They could never become more like God. When God created them, he created them perfect. And he said, I'm going to make them in my image according to my likeness. And so they were like God already, but Satan came in and he said, 
I'm going to mess with their identity and get them to think that they're not who God said that they are. And you know, he does the same thing to us today. He's trying to convince you that you're not who, who he said you are, and he's trying to convince you that what he said, Satan's trying to convince you that what God said isn't going to come to pass in your life. And so this is why we need more than a traditional Christmas story, but we need a, a, a much broader picture. We need a message and a word from God telling us some things today about why. Why Christmas? So after Adam and Eve sinned, everything was broken down. They, God said, you'll surely die in the day you eat of it. But in the moment they ate of it, they were still alive physically. But spiritual death had set in immediately. And, and it's as if the, their connection to God and the glory of God was stripped away that had covered them. And then suddenly they look down and they're naked and they're ashamed and they hide themselves, and they go find some fig trees. Thank God they weren't in like a pine tree forest only. That would have been very uncomfortable. Like that fig tree or pine tree? Let's go with the fig tree, right? And so they covered themselves to hide themselves, hide their shame, but to hide from the presence of God. You see, sin led to death. When the Bible talks about death, though, it mentions the physical death, but that's not the real concern. Because we, our spirits live forever, heaven or hell, but we are created to live forever. But that spiritual death it's talking about was that separation from God. At that very moment, the consequences of sin started to kick in, started to affect the family life. Later on, Abel and Cain, the children of Adam and Eve, they got into a fight and Cain kills Abel. We see that the world, in fact, what we read about in the news today it's a result of the consequences of that sin. Their bodies started to break down immediately and where they were intended to live forever, to recover, to heal themselves and so forth, uh, suddenly sickness and disease started to creep in and their age span started to decrease, decrease to where it became very common for people to die at a very early age, often because of sickness and disease. We see that they were cut off from God, their supplier and their source. And the Lord said, you're going to have to till the ground and whatever you can produce, that's what you eat. And you're limited to that on your own because you cho chose to listen to the voice of another God, a false God, and you chose to turn your back on me and not listen to me. And it's your choice all along. And, and even in the midst of that, when God was saying these things to Adam and Eve, he then turned to Satan, and in verse 15 of, of Genesis 3, he turns to Satan, he says, but I want you to know something, Satan. Yeah. He, he said, from this point forward, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed. He said, I want you to know that there's a time coming that all this is going to change. You're going to strike out against her seed. And you might be able to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And notice he says the woman's seed, not the man's seed. He's giving the picture right there that a virgin will be with child and she's going to bear a son. And that's why it's such a big deal when we read about this in the book of Matthew that this fulfillment of prophecy would come to pass because it didn't just come from the book of Isaiah a couple hundred years before, but it came from the very beginning in the garden when God prophesied that Christmas is coming. Yes. 
that he's going to send his son, and he's going to undo the work of the devil. And it might take some time for us, but in God's heart, man, this is as good as done. This is as good as done. And he's faithful to his word. Now, the consequences of the sin, though, I mean, they continued on, and I just mentioned them briefly, but we see that... uh, that it continues on as a result of the fall of man, you have spiritual death. Spiritual death. Now where God had intended us to live together with him on earth, now we have that consequence where that can't happen. So God says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth, but not everybody's going to go there. But I need to, I'm not going to give up on him. So he continued to pursue man throughout time. And you see times where he would show up like with people with like Abraham and he made a covenant. He said, Abraham, follow after me. I'll bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he sets him apart. And then we see another place like it with Moses. He meets Moses out in the desert. And he says, Moses, I want you to set my people free. They're in bondage as slaves right now, but I made promises to them, and I want to keep my word to them. I want you to bring them out of Egypt into a place where they can worship me freely, and I want you to build a tent, and in that tent, my presence will dwell, and I'll meet with my people. And although it's a temporary setup, a tent is never permanent, God's saying, but there's going to be one day where my son is going to put on a tent called the flesh right? Because Christmas is coming. And so he's continuing to pursue man, and he never gave up on him. He runs into a guy named David, the shepherd out tending his sheep. And God, who is a shepherd, he says, I can relate to this man. And David has a, a heart after God. And, and God raises David up, and he makes promises to him. He says, you're going to lead my people and be the king. And after you, your sons will be kings too. But one day, Through your lineage, I'm going to raise up a son of yours and of mine who will sit on the throne forever. Christmas is coming. He continued to send his prophets. In fact, Isaiah in chapter 7 gave that prophetic word that we read about in Matthew, but he says it like this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God never gave up on his people. He continued to pursue his people, even though they were still stuck in these consequences of broken relationship with God, living in sin, sickness, and poverty, which, by the way, is why we needed a Savior. When God said, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior, it wasn't just because, like, okay, so we can all go to heaven, but he's saving us from our sin so that, yes, we'll have everlasting life, but also that he can redeem us now. You see, there's things that were lost that belong to us because that relationship with God was lost. And Jesus set about the course to redeem us and get us back and to restore those things to you right now. And so the gift of salvation, it's sort of like one of those babushka dolls. You know what babushka doll is? It's like one of those little Russian gifts. It looks like a doll, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, there's another one in here. And you open it up, and you're like, oh, and there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. And, and, and God's gift to you of the Savior is like that. You open it up, and there's salvation. And you look, and you're like, wait, there's more. And then oh, there's healing. Oh, 
There's provision. Oh, there's protection. Oh, there's joy. Oh, there's confidence. Oh, there, you know, there, there's peace. And you keep digging into the gift of God. So when we talk about the message or the story of Christmas, it's not just about a little baby. But it's about God's gift to redeem us. You see, the consequences of the sin, I mean, even when God gave his law and he said, if you follow my word, there's going to be blessing. He gave us his laws to remind us that we need him. Because even in our best efforts to obey his law, we couldn't quite live up to it. And we might get glimpses and tastes of the blessing of God, but we couldn't get the fullness because it was dependent on our own ability. And God was just showing us, hey, your own ability is never going to cut it but Christmas is coming and I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And even though the, the blessing of keeping the law was really good, the consequence of breaking the law was terrible. In fact, if you were to look at the place like in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it lays out the blessings and the curses, let me read to you some of the bad news. This isn't part of like, I mean, it's part of the Christmas story, but you don't want this stuff under your tree, right? So in, in verse 15, God said this, he said, it'll come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and they'll overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. And cursed shall you be in the country. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're not going to be doing all that great. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. In other words, man, your job, your career, your farms, everything that should be providing for you, there's going to be a curse on that. And so you're going to lack. One of the consequences or the curses that come with uh, that spiritual death is poverty. Poverty is never a gift from God. It's never a good thing. If it was, then Jesus wouldn't have become poor for our sakes that we might become rich. Jesus wouldn't be our supplier and the provider of our needs if it was a good thing. If it was a good thing, there would have been poverty before the fall. But poverty is a result of that. And even though uh, we've been redeemed from this, you know, many times believers still think that they should live in it. And Jesus said, I've come to redeem you from that or set you free from it. Philippians 4.19 says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. By who? By Christ Jesus, by the Christmas baby right there. So one of the purposes of God sending his son is saying, you have lost your source and you've been cut off from your source and you've been trying to do it on your own. And some days it's good, some days it's bad. But I'm telling you, when I redeem you and, and you're tied back into me, your provider, you'll never go without. You'll never lack any good thing. When you're right in the midst, midst of the, the will of God connected to God, you're, you're, you, you are tied into the provider who is not dependent on our economy and he's not dependent on your job and he's not limited by your education. God has unlimited ways to provide for you. And that is part of the Christmas gift to you this, because this is part of redemption. Yeah. And it goes beyond the provision. And how many of you think that provision is better than lack, right? Yeah. It's better than lack. And this came from the heart of God in the same way that when you think about your kids, you think, you know, I don't mind them learning lessons and being responsible and disciplined and, and, and working hard. That's good. But your heart is never to see them suffer lack. 
You don't want that for them. You want them to do well. And as a parent, you do whatever you could. What can God do to help you? What can he do? And what's his heart? He sent his son. He sent his son to redeem you from that curse of poverty. Not only is that it, though, but he provides healing as well. This is part of the reason that Jesus came. This isn't a separate message from Christmas. This is the message of Christmas, the message of complete redemption. And although I'm already a couple minutes over time, so I can't tell you everything, you guys would have to be here till next Christmas, and we would just still be getting started. But if you continue to read about the curse of the law, he says this, he said in verse 59, um, he said, then the Lord would bring upon your, you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he'll bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. And also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book, I mean, stuff that scientists haven't even discovered yet, God is saying, those are the consequences that the Lord would bring those upon you until you're destroyed. That's what it's like living without God. And God is sitting here saying, but that's not what I want for you. And this is why Christmas came. See, if we continue to read in Isaiah chapter 53, that same prophet who talked about the virgin with the baby, he said, he's going to grow up one day and he's going to go to the cross. And when he goes to the cross in verse 4 of chapter 53, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, if you look at the literal translation of those two words, griefs and sorrows, you look at the literal translations, it says that Jesus carried our sickness and our pain. That's exactly what those words mean, that Jesus himself carried your sickness, any sickness, even things that aren't written in this book, and your pains. He himself carried those things to the cross. It goes on to say, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But it was on the cross that Jesus was redeeming us, and not only does he take our sin upon, his, upon himself, but he took our sickness to the cross as well. Just as surely as he paid the price for your sin, he paid the price completely for your sickness and disease. Verse 5, it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Transgressions are when you outwardly break the law. But you know, sometimes there's stuff in our heart that's not right as well, and that's iniquity. And the Bible says that Jesus suffered for both of those things. For us, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we are healed. Later on in the book of Peter, it says that when he went to the cross, when he went to the tree, that he was dying for our sins, but by his stripes, you were healed. So Christmas is about redemption from poverty. It's about redemption from sickness and disease. You see, at the cross was the great exchange. It's when God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is important because God looks at you when you've received Jesus as your Savior. You receive this gift of Christmas. He looks at you not as someone who does righteousness, but is righteous. You became it. Because some of you might think, man, I haven't lived and done all that much righteousness to be considered righteous by God. Well, how much sin did Jesus commit to be considered sin by God? Zero. 
Jesus never sinned, but yet he became an offering for our sin. Yeah. And, and by the way, he didn't just die in our place, but he became sin. All of our sin was laid upon him yeah. to the point where he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he doing right there? The sin that he became separated him from the presence of God, and he redeemed you from that eternal spiritual separation from God and death. And for some moment right there, Jesus experienced separation from God on our behalf. This is the message of Christmas. This is why this redemption is total. It's not just free fire insurance when you go die and go to heaven. But even right now, you can experience the presence of God. Even right now, you can experience the healing power of God. Even right now, you can experience the provision of God in your life. This is the message of Christmas. Jesus said in John 5, 24, he said, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Right now, you'll have it and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Once you get it, you don't lose it and get it again and lose it and get it again and lose it and get it again. He says, when you hear my word and you believe in him who sent me, you have it, and you've already passed judgment. Why is that? Because that little baby went to the cross and took our judgment. He took our sickness. He took our lack. He took all of our deficiencies, upon himself. And now we're in covenant with God, completely redeemed. And though there will be a time when this life, this earthly body we, we put away, God renews the heavens and earth, and it will be as good as it was, all things made new as in the garden, the environment will be. But your relationship starting now and the promises of God and what he's provided, what he's restoring, that belongs to you now. That belongs to you now. And so you may have come thinking that you're just going to hear a traditional Christmas message, but traditional messages lead to traditional religion, which basically means God with no power, but it's a good story, and it warms our hearts. And I'm telling you, we need to not have a traditional relationship with God, but we need to have just an outrageous relationship that just throws away all the religion throws that all away and gets everything that God intended and allows him to be everything that he wanted to be to us. This is God's heart and desire for us this Christmas. 